invite you to open your Bible tonight to the Gospel of Matthew. We've already heard the Gospel wonderfully read by the boys and girls uh, from the Gospel of Luke. But tonight we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, reading verses 18 through 25, 18 through 25. It's interesting, the different perspective. Um, Luke writes from the perspective of Mary, tells her story, writes from the perspective of the shepherds, tells uh, their story. Uh, but Matthew writes from the perspective of Luke, uh, excuse me, of Joseph and tells Joseph's story. And so the title of our message tonight is Joseph's Christmas. Let's give our attention to God's word, Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you speak still through your word and by your spirit. And oh, Lord Jesus, speak to us tonight. Help us to see your beauty and glory. Help us to trust in you completely um, and to worship you as the Lord of history, the Lord of our life, the Savior of sinners. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the uh, great blessings of Christmas time is... It brings a message of such hope to a world that's so desperately in need of such a message. The, the headlines of this past year have been, uh, once again, a brutal display of how lost and broken and evil uh, this world really is. Uh, we read daily of war and terrorism, corruption, perversion, uh, persecution, all as man continues to wreak havoc on God's good creation. Uh, we see today the demons of hell seem to be blinding the minds of people so that people are saying things and doing things we could not even have imagined a few years ago. Parents, for instance, willingly, even eagerly, uh, offering up their children to be sacrificed on the altar of transgender ideology. And you just shake your head. Um, the, the darkness seems palpable. Uh, the world seems to be increasingly hopeless and lost. Uh, the good news is, I guess if you could say it that way, is that the world was just as lost and just as hopeless in Matthew's day. Uh, in fact, it was even more so, right? Today, there are men and women and boys and girls all over the world worshiping Jesus Christ. In Matthew's day, there was almost no true religion at all. There were a few Jews who were um, waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled, a few Jews who were still trusting uh, in the Lord and, uh, and, and waiting 
for Christ, the Christ to be born. But other than that, the world was awash in darkness, just completely consumed by the blackness of unbelief and sin. Uh, Life was cheap, perversion was celebrated, darkness reigned over the whole world. But then something miraculous happened on that night in Bethlehem. The Christ was born. And that event makes all the difference for all of human history and for all of the human race. The God of history entered history. God himself became man. The Messiah was born. Again, as we said this morning, the first words would grab the attention of Matthew's readers as he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. The birth of Jesus the Messiah. There are, we have some ancient uh, Greek manuscripts which, uh, to emphasize the, this word Messiah, they just take out Jesus. So they, some of the ancient manuscripts read, now the birth of the Christ, the birth of the Messiah, took place in this way. Ma- Matthew is announcing the, the presence of the most anticipated baby in all of the history of the world. Through all the uh, dreary days and long nights of Israel's existence, this promise had been whispered by the prophets and and sung by the poets that a, a child would be born. Unique, a unique child. A shoot would come from the stem of Jesse. The virgin would conceive. God would send a prophet like Moses A priest like Melchizedek, a king like David, one who would rule with justice and equity and righteousness. He would break the bonds that held them captive. He would redeem them and heal them and put his law within their hearts so they wouldn't wander anymore, but that the earth would be filled with the righteousness of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And for every every Jewish man or woman who loved the Lord and longed for God to be worshipped as he ought, that was such a precious promise. Just to imagine this world that was in complete darkness to be filled with the light of God, the light of truth, the light of God's grace, that the whole world would worship God. What what an incredible vision. It's the same vision, of course, that the church should have today, isn't it? As we read the headlines, we should not just despair, but but yearn for the day when, when all over the globe, from every mouth, Jesus Christ is worshiped and praised and adored. But but this is the hope, this was the promise, this is what the people were waiting for. Those who believed knew that God would not abandon his promise, he would not forget his people. The Christ would come, and, and Matthew now, with, certainly with great joy, writes to his Jewish fellow men, he's come. The Christ has come. But he came in a way that was entirely unexpected. The Christmas story would read like a great scandal to the first Jewish audience. And Matthew captures that scandal wonderfully in the story of Joseph. As I said, uh, Matthew writes from Joseph's perspective. And for Joseph, Christmas began very poorly. Verse 18, we read of a tragic revelation. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
Joseph was betrothed to this young woman. Uh, when we hear betrothed, we think engaged, but um, that's not what it is really at all. A betrothal is legal marriage. The couple just wasn't yet living together, but they were in, in every significant way, except living together, they were legally married. So Archie France says, in Jewish law, betrothal, which lasted about one year, was much more than our engagement. It was a binding contract, terminable only by death, which left the other person a widow or a widower, that's how they'd be considered, or by divorce as for a full marriage. The man was already the husband, but the woman remained in her father's house. The marriage was completed when the husband took the betrothed to his home in a public ceremony. And so you can imagine Joseph's despair when Mary, his betrothed wife, is found to be with child. There's so much drama there, so much heartache there. And again, as, as I've said before, it's it's a mystery why the Lord left Joseph in the dark. When he came and, and brought the good news to Mary, Mary, you, are, you found favor in God's sight and, and the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and, and there's going to be within you a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, why, didn't the, why didn't the angel then go to Joseph and say, Joseph, right? Mary's been found, has found favor in the sight of God and Mary's going to be with you. That's not how it happened. Joseph heard the news that Mary was with child, and, and so it leaves uh, Joseph in a very, very difficult place. He's got a hard decision to make. Archie France again says, in Old Testament law, the penalty for unchastity before marriage was stoning. That's in Deuteronomy 22. But by this time, divorce, based on Deuteronomy 24, was the rule. And Joseph, we're told, was a just man, as a, as a law-abiding man, he could have brought an accusation of adultery resulting in a public trial, but his unwillingness to put her to shame, we're told in the text, led him to consider the permitted alternative of a private divorce before two witnesses, and so that was the plan. Now, of course, we know the whole story. Mary was not just with child. She's with child by the Holy Spirit. Mary knows this, and and sang songs about it. You can read them in the Gospel of Luke. Elizabeth knew it and also rejoiced. But Joseph is lost in the darkness of what he doesn't know and the despair of what he does know. His betrothed wife is with child. His betrothed wife has been unfaithful. And to continue the marriage then is just, it's not an option. The sin is too great. The, the shame is too public. And Joseph is a just man, a man who cares for the law of God, and, and the law provides no fix for this moral mess that Mary has created. There's no fix in the law for this. All the law can offer is, is condemnation. All the law can offer is, is separation. That's all the law can say. And, and so that's the path that Joseph determines to take, to put her away quietly. What a, what a dark and dismal day for Joseph. What a heavy heart he must have had as he went to sleep that night. But what a wonderful event as an angel comes to him with this glorious declaration. As, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What a, what a miraculous, magnificent turn of events. 
If you were Joseph, can you imagine first the stunning truth of being um, spoken to by an angel of the Lord? This, this doesn't happen every day. I know that we read our Bibles and we, there are lots of stories of people having angels appear to them, but those stories take over thousands of years and no angel has come right, it's, it, for 400 years. When, when the angel spoke to Mary, that's the first um, word of, from, from God that, that's, that's been known for 400 years. Dreams and visions and, and things are not happening. Uh, there's, a, there's a sort of a revel, revelatory blackout. But, but now an, an angel of God appears and speaks to Joseph. The heavens are opening. It's a new day. God is speaking. And, and what a, just a wonderful message of relief and astonishment and, and, uh, and joy that Mary has not been unfaithful, but this miraculous thing has happened. That God has, has come and has placed by the power of the Holy Spirit a life within her womb. And, and this, this little baby is going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. It, it, I would have loved to see Joseph's face when he wakes up from that dream. What a magnificent message. And, and this truth, the Holy Spirit conception in Mary's womb is, is the stunning truth at the heart of the gospel message. God becomes man. The word became flesh. The creator becomes, became a creature. And, and it's a it's a message that radically rewrites man's assumptions about the nature of the world and, and particularly the, any relationship that there is between this creation, this, this world, and the spiritual world. So most people in, in Matthew's day would, would believe that there's a God of, of some sort. Every nation has their gods, and they would have some sort of a creation story. But there's a vast chasm between the creation and the creator, whatever, however they might conceive of him. And so when, when John writes, the word became flesh, that, that's just something that was not conceivable in the mind of the common man or woman of that day. But, but it's also, this uh, turns the tables over on the sort of um, secular worldview of our day where we're told there is no God. And all that, all that exists is the material world. A Rosaria Butterfield uh, uh, testifies to this in a wonderful way. She was, as maybe you know, she was a, uh, a lesbian feminist professor at Syracuse University, and she had written a newspaper article in the local newspaper uh, criticizing the movement Promise Keepers uh, for their uh, bigoted gender politics. And she gets a, a letter written back to her from a local um, Presbyterian pastor, Reverend Ken Smith. Some of us have, have had the pleasure of meeting him. And she says, I received a letter from Pastor Ken Smith of Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a kind and inquiring letter. It encouraged me to explore the kind of questions I admire. How did you arrive at your interpretations? How do you know you are right? He didn't argue with my article. He asked me to explore and defend the presuppositions that undergirded it. And she says, I didn't know how to respond to Ken's letter, but I, I found myself reading and rereading it. Ken's letter made, it, made me confront the presuppositional problem with my research. 
As an intellectual, I was working from a historical materialist worldview, the idea that the material world is all that there is. And as a Marxist, right, she believes that, that uh, all of history is just the story of economic struggle. But she writes, Christians maintain that Jesus Christ was historically and globally true, but his entrance into history violated a core assumption of my research. No one, according to the tenets of Marxist historical materialism, no one enters history. We all emerge from history. No one comes in. We all, whatever happens, happens by way of history. We emerge from history. Well, you see, the Christmas story just upended that, that apple cart. Because, because now there's a story of a man, a, a historical figure, who does not emerge from history, but has entered into history. Which means, you see, that history cannot just be read as the story of man dealing with man. It must be read as the story of God dealing with man. And that was a whole new paradigm for her. The Christmas story shattered her secular worldview. If Jesus is virgin born, then God, the creator of heaven and earth, has entered our world and has revealed himself to man in human form. As John writes, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God is here. God has spoken. God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ in human form. We are not alone, right? The, the God who created the world has invaded the world, and in the most stunning and radical way. And the pressing question, of course, is why? Why? If aliens from a distant galaxy landed, right? You've seen movies about this. If they landed on, on Earth tomorrow, right, and we saw the spaceship out in the, out in the yard, what would be the question people are asking? Why? Why are they here? Why have they come? What do they want? Are they here to destroy us? People would be gripped with fear. Well, why has God come to earth? The assumption of people with their guilty conscience, their assumption would be God has come to condemn the world. Boys and girls, if you... Um, Sneak a few cookies and you go off into your bedroom and you're enjoying those cookies, the cookies that mom just bought, and uh, the cookies that mom expressly told you, don't you touch them because they're for company tonight, and yet you helped yourself and you're in your room and you're enjoying your cookies, and mom comes into your room, why do you think she's there? You think she's there <clears throat> to punish you, right? Your conscience is, is quite sure of it. She's there to bring judgment, condemnation, whatever it might look like. You don't assume that she's there to ask if she can bring you some milk. In the same way, sinful human beings, right, when, if they hear God has come, you look through the scriptures when God appears in any form and as an angel of the Lord or whatever it might be, people never run and say, God, it's so good to see you. They fall on their faces immediately, every time. 
because their guilty heart is convinced them that, that if God is here, God being holy and we being sinful, that God has come to judge. The, the gig is finally up. The shoe is going to drop. What we had always feared has come to take place. But that's the beauty, the glory of the Christmas story. That God has come, but he has not come to condemn the world. But that through him the world might be saved. And that's exactly what the angel says. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus. The Hebrew word, it means to deliver, to rescue. Jesus is the most perfectly named baby in the world. He's named for his mission. And there's so much confusion about the mission of Jesus in the world today and even in the church. The, the, the people, if you would ask them, why did Jesus come? You'd get all sorts of answers. Some would say he came as a good moral teacher to give us insight of how to live better lives. Uh, others would say that uh, Jesus came um, to empathize and, and to, to let us know that, that God cares. Others will, will tell you that Jesus came because God wants us to know how awesome we are. In Matthew's day, if you would ask why would the Messiah come, the answer would be uh, immediately given, he, he's come to get rid of the Romans. He's come to establish Israel as the greatest nation in the world. That's why he's here. But that's not the mission of Jesus. It was never the mission of Jesus to come and make life in this world more palatable. Jesus came for something vastly greater. Jesus came to save his people from their sin. That's why he came. And the, and the angel says it with great certainty. He will save. He did not come to offer or just make salvation a possibility. Jesus came to accomplish salvation, to make it a reality. For his people, he will save his people from their sin. Those have been given to him by the Father. He will save them. This baby will not fail. He will accomplish the mission as he rescues his people from their sin. Which tells us, of course, our great need. We are the sinful people, aren't we? Their sin, there is a possessive pronoun. It just says that the sin that Jesus came to rescue us from is our sin. We committed the offenses. We, we have broken the law of God. We have rebelled. We have not loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Does it ever just strike you that your sin is, is an actual offense against God? You know, we know this up here. The Lord just convicted me recently of, um, of, of, of a sin, and I knew it was wrong, and I confessed it. But... Several days later, I just, it just broke into my heart as I was, I sensed that I had a dead heart and just not, not awake to the goodness of God. And, and I thought about that sin, and, and, it, and it just, it, you might think this is strange, but it just struck me again. That was a sin against Jesus. That was a personal affront against Jesus. He had to die for that sin. That was, that was an offense against my Lord. That's what our sins are. It's not just we broke a rule somewhere. But we've offended God. 
We've, 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 we've told God to get lost, right, with his, with his glory, his being, his truth, his grace. We're going we're to go and do what we want to do. We're going to serve our flesh. We're going to serve our pride. And, and it's a sin against, against Jesus. And then the beauty of the Christmas story is that Jesus came to save us from the sins that we've committed against him. To save us from the divine condemnation that we deserve. We actually do deserve it. The, the wrath of God that our sins deserve. I just love how John says in John 3, 17, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. That's why Jesus came. That you, with all your offenses against God, all your sins against Jesus Christ, your sins even against the Holy Spirit, that you could be rescued from your sin and the judgment that it deserves. That's what it means to be saved. And, and having, you see, accomplished that, what that does is it allows us to have communion with God. That's, I love um, how Matthew immediately goes in verse 22. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, that's what it means to be saved. It means God is with you. You see, the great horror of being lost is not that you're going to go to hell. The great horror of being lost is that you are separated from God. As the Bible says, your sins have separated you from God. Hell is just the final, ultimate experience of that horror. But to be lost means that, that you are not with God, and God is not with you. There's a vast chasm that's been fixed between you and God because of your sin. Maybe that's where you are tonight. You're just living your life, doing your thing. No care, no concern for God. And, and the Bible just wants you to know that that's true of you. That Then you are lost. And what lost means is you're separated from God. And, and, and hell will simply be the full experience of what that separation means. That's what all, we all deserve. There's this vast chasm, and we can't fix it, can we? There's nothing we can do. You can't be religious enough or moral enough or, or well-meant enough. You, we can't fix the chasm. We can't, we can't fix what happened and what's wrong. We can't, we can't atone for our sin. We can't bring ourselves to God. But God has come to us. That's the Christmas story. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, crossed the chasm and became man. He came all the way to where we were, become like us in every way except without sin, so that through his atoning death, we could be reconciled to God, and God could be Emmanuel to us. That's what Jesus accomplished. That's, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. God and man are reconciled through Jesus Christ, and that means that God is with me, and God is with you, and God is for you. With all his love and all of his affection and all of his favor and all of his grace, he already indwells you by his Holy Spirit, and one day he promises that he will dwell with you in perfect union forever in a new heaven and a new earth. That's all true because Christmas is true. 
I love how the Bible ends, Revelation 21.3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? God himself will be with them as their God. But friends, we get a taste of that right now. The Spirit himself bearing witness in our, with our spirit that we are the children of God. We get to right now, by faith in Jesus Christ, know that God is with us and God is for us. And God promises to never leave us. Some of us have hard Christmases to face. I encourage you as you, as you face that, that occasion, just do it in the conviction. God is with you. God is for you. It's going to be okay. Some of us have heavy loads that we're bearing. Some of us have a, just a lot of hard things, health issues, grief, loss, whatever it might be. But this is why we can have hope as Christians. This is why we can have joy. This is why we can have peace. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, friends, has come right to where we are. And he gave his life so he could stay right where we are by his spirit so that God would be with us and we would be with God now and forever. May God give you all joy and peace in believing. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what an amazing thing you've done for us in Jesus Christ, your son. That Jesus was not, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but he, he humbled himself, became man, taking the form of a servant, and offered up his life for us because he loved us. Father, you know the burdens that we carry. I thank you, Lord, that we do not carry them alone. Lord, you know the sins that we commit. I thank you that they do not separate us from you any longer as we confess them. Jesus, please do forgive us for the sins that we so easily and thoughtlessly commit against you and against the glory of, of our Father in heaven and sins against the Holy Spirit and his desire for us. Jesus, forgive us and restore us and give us joy and peace as we believe the beauty and the wonder of the gospel story. That God is with us. And we are safe and secure and we will one day be with him face to face. And so Lord, may we walk this, the road of this life, this program journey, every step in faith, with hope, in peace, because Christ has been born. We pray it in his name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing All My Heart This Night Rejoices. We'll sing the first verse and then verses 4 through 7. Let's celebrate the gospel together.
people said. Amen. Amen. After the benediction, we're going to sing Silent Night. Just to remind you, please let the boys and girls leave at the end of the uh, song, and then we'll make our way in the back for a time of fellowship. Receive the benediction of the Lord your God. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you till Christ come again. Amen. Thank you.